That's right. Um, I usually like to just get into the word right away, but I must say, um, I believe that the worship today uh, reached Jerusalem. <laughs> I mean, that one. <laughs> that one, the one that is coming to us. And uh, I appreciate this very much. I don't think we're doing anything special. This is how things ought to be. Right? It's Yeshua that broke this middle wall of partition and has taken us all in. So we need to get over it and be what we are, are and live in really the victories that Yeshua won on the cross. Now I'm going I'm to call him Yeshua or Jesus. It's just going to come out the way it comes out. Please don't, don't be offended. I also deeply, deeply appreciate being here and being part of this. Somehow it feels momentous for some reason. And uh, um, to be with the Gladstone uh, community and with Dennis, we so appreciate him and Marianne. They were part of our congregation for three months when they were available because they, they don't sit still for very long, as you know. <laughs> but, uh, but we are very appreciative because they, um, they humbled themselves and served us. The congregation were a tremendous blessing, and so uh, we miss them, but what can we do? <laughs> so we love you, we really do. And it's uh, Pastor Tracy that we met in Jerusalem, uh, and, uh, and Byron, uh, it was really a pleasure when they came with Dennis. I, I didn't know when we met Dennis that things were going to develop. But they do in God. And if we just get a hold of God, He will do what He wants to do. So, Father, we do pray that Your Word will bless the people here tonight. I do earnestly desire to just simply wash their feet with the Word of God. That they might be refreshed in You. That they might come out of this meeting loving You more. And as a result of that, Lord, we can't help it. But when we love you, we can love one another. So we pray that your word, Lord, will be that dynamic power of the kingdom of God in our lives as we look into these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to turn to Leviticus 23. And I'm going to speak tonight about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. We're right in the midst of it. And actually Sunday, I think the coming Sunday, is the last great day of the feast. And um, in our time here, we're actually going to uh, be looking at several things, not all on the Feast of Tabernacles, but all having to do with how God sent Yeshua to bring us home and what that means. It has very deep implications for our spiritual lives. But I want to read from Leviticus 23, verse 33 and on. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. And on the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. 
Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offering, everything upon his day. Beside the Sabbath of the Lord and beside your gift and beside all your vows and beside all your free will, uh, free will offerings which you will give unto the Lord. Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month you shall have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take on the first day of boughs of boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in a year, in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord. It is a word that is alive. And there are several things mentioned here that I will just really explain a little bit. One is a holy convocation. The other, the a command to bring an offering by fire. And then the command to rejoice before the Lord. And the command to dwell in booths. And we will see what we're after is not just to understand past things, but what are the spiritual realities for us and what they mean for us in the things of God. So first, God has asked for a holy convocation. And a holy convocation in Hebrew is called Mikra Kodesh. It doesn't matter that you know the Hebrew or not. But a holy convocation is a divine summons. It's a summons from the Lord to come and appear before him. It is an appointment God has set as his calendar. Not only are you to appear, but God said that he will appear too. He will meet you. He has a meeting with you. It is a holy convocation. And it is to happen three times a year at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. God had a few, and still does, divine appointments that he requires his people to come to him. Even though Jesus lives in us, still, you know, we are more than just individuals. We are God's building. We are God's people. We are his holy temple together. And in these divine appointments, such as, I don't know if you know that one of the divine appointments, these holy convocation, is the Sabbath. It's the day of the Lord. It doesn't matter right now if you meet on Sunday or if you meet on Saturday, but 
meeting with God is not an option. Unless you're sick or whatever else that you must do, you need to be at the house of God. God meets you every day if you are, take time to be with Him. But there is another way in which God meets with us when we are together. There are things that you cannot get alone. That our being together brings us together to meet with God. I'm not the same after this evening's worship already. And I'm glad for it. The Passover, of course, and as I mentioned, the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits is the day that Yeshua actually was resurrected from the dead and a, a, a wave offering was put before the Lord. And then seven weeks, uh, seven weeks afterwards, the Feast of Pentecost. And of course, you know that in Pentecost, they were together as the house of God. And the Feast of Trumpets and the Atonement and Tabernacles. I won't, I won't uh, elaborate on that. But I tell you something, that the thing you and I need God's appointed times. We need to be reminded. We need to be refreshed. We need to be revived before the Lord. And God knew that. The people of Israel at the time did not have worship places. They would all come to Jerusalem in, in these appointed times. And you know how it is when you live daily and you're busy and everything, how prone to wander we do are. I love this wonderful song, Oh to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. You and I wonder. You can have a, a wonderful experience with God and the next day you're somewhere else. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. One of the greatest mysteries to me is how we can turn away from God. It's a mystery. If he's so wonderful, if he's that holy being, there's nothing more beautiful or holy or greater or, or, or more fulfilling than God and we turn away. So God has appointed times that says, you must come and meet me. It's a grace. It's a mercy. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Our great need is to cleave unto the Lord. It is to find him again and again, to serve him and trust him with all of our hearts and no other, lest our hearts grow cold. Oh, how quickly do they get cold. And in that coldness, how prone we are to begin to bow before idols. 
Joshua, before, before he was, came, went out of the scene in chapter 22, he says to his people, be diligent to take heed, not to do, um, sorry, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let me put it in a new covenant setting. Take heed, diligent heed, to live within the new covenant and to hold on to the word and will of God in Jesus which the Lord has charged you to love your Lord, your God, and to walk in all his ways, and to keep, yes, keep his commandments. There are New Testament commandments. Love one another is not a holy suggestion. Every time we love someone, we think we, get, we, we need to get a medal. We've done something. Oh, how we need to cleave unto the Lord and to serve him with all of, heart, of our hearts. Why? Because God has said, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, then, is uh, one of these appointed times in which God, in his mercy, has arranged that his people might be refreshed and revived as his people. Don't you think it's amazing that God said at least three times a year you're going to have revival. You're going to refresh in your love for me. I'm going to help you see me again. And we want to look at that and we look at three things only that this feast would mean to us. One is remember. The other one is rejoice and celebrate. And the third one is anticipate. We will look at those and you'll see they're not that complicated. First of all, the feast or the appointed time brings you face to face with our need for God and the provision we have in Christ. It is a reminder every time you go up or come before the Lord that we have a need for salvation. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law left you guilty before the Lord without excuse or redress. It demanded your punishment before a holy God. Its claims were just and absolute. The law condemns us and calls for our death. This is what Romans 6, 23 says. The wages of sin is death. And we are reminded in Ephesians 2 that the, at the time you were without Christ. You have forgotten this. I tend to forget it. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And this is something, whenever we come before the Lord, whenever we come together before the Lord, whenever we worship Him, yes, we celebrate our great redemption, but woe unto us if we forget our great need and who fulfilled it. I will never outlive my need for grace. I will never outlive my need for the blood of the Lamb. I can do all the good things from now to eternity, but I will always need the grace of God in heaven. There will never be a time in which I will not live by that grace which fountain is the cross and its outflow is the blood of Messiah. And you and I need to be reminded of it. And when we come together, and if we worship God, and if we hear the word of God, we are reminded again of our great need for Christ. Every time the people went up, they came with sacrifices, both personal and national. You might think this was a great fun, but I tell you what, everybody saw Fred go out with that lamb knowing that he had sinned again. And every time we came at the Feast of Tabernacles and at, and at the Day of Atonement, in fact, every new month, do you know that every month, in the beginning of the month, they blew trumpets. But they didn't just blow them everywhere. They blew them over the sacrifice. Because to blast and to bring to attention to the sacrifice. Sacrifices is not because God needs to eat. Or that he needs to be reminded. But that there is an everlasting testimony. That that is the relationship, the foundation of it in God. And that will never change. I have nothing to do with the Father but except through Jesus Christ. And the day you forget it, your heart begins to gel and becomes cold. Every time that they came before God, on any feast, on every new month, but especially on the Day of Atonement, the priest, the priest had to first sacrifice for themselves for their own sins. And then they had to ask God for forgiveness for the nation. What, uh, this is crazy to say it this way, but what if in every state, in every town, there would be a day of remembrance of the sins of the state, you know, of the nation? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're going forward, but, but. There was a nation on earth that was like this. And I, I just want to say something to make something clear to us. Israel as a nation is equal to what the church before God is. Not 
America, but the Christians of America. And I say that it is the church that needs to come back to Christ. You need, and I need, whenever I say you, I'm including myself, okay? I don't want to complicate this by saying it all the time. Maybe I should say we. We need a holy convocation, a meeting with God in which we would be reminded of our great need of God. The day you think you've outgrown your need for God is a, a tragedy. Maturing Christianity or Christians is not becoming more independent of God. It's the other way around. We are also reminded of the provision. You know, on Feast of Tabernacles, there was an enormous amount of sacrifices. It was the feast in which the most sacrifices were given. Every day, they would start, I don't remember if they were 14 and they went down, but all in all, during the week, 70 bullocks, 14 rams, 98 lambs, altogether 182 sacrifices, that's 26 times seven. I have it written because I'm not good at math. <laughs> to which must be added 336, which is 48 times seven tenths of an ephah, or uh, of flour for the meat offering. It's interesting to note that the sacred number seven appears in the feast of Passover only in the number of its days. In Pentecost, it appears as weeks, but in, in, in the feast of uh, um, tabernacles, it appears in the sacrifice. It's the most sacrifice-filled and bloody of all feasts. And rightly so, because it speaks, as you will see, of a coming fullness. So they were reminded of the provision that they had in God. What does this all point to? All of these sacrifices, they all point to the more than enough, all-encompassing, full and complete, totally satisfying sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood. What would you do if you appeared tonight without cover before the living God? You know, you and I have no idea at all. Or maybe you want to be included, so I'll say it about myself. We ha I have no idea what it would be like to appear before God naked, uncovered, without glory, full of guilt, before a holy God, and, and listen to me, this, this will, this, a holy God who demands satisfaction and justice. If it wasn't for Jesus, 
we, we will see it. We've taken the grace part and removed the holiness part. I wonder sometimes if we're not somehow a crossless, a crossless and a bloodless church. People want better and more exciting things to preach about, but I tell you, the life is in the blood. Died he? Died he for me? When was the last time that you were struck with wonder? Died he for me? Who caused this pain? For me, whom him to death pursued, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin, and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. This literally happened to me when I was in India in 1976, in a room, in an ashram full of devils, myself full of all kinds of things. And God diffused a quickening ray and entered with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed you. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. This is Charles Wesley. The third thing that they were to remember, that was that they dwelt in booths. God told them to dwell in booths in all those seven days. Now, today, in these days, booths, these, these Sukkot, the booths that are built in Israel, very elaborate. They have lights. Some of them people put like these, these air conditions. And uh, they have doors so people could sleep in them. We're missing the point. These were not elaborate and super decorated booth. They even have contests of who has a most decorated booth. Yeah, 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 exactly, I, exactly. These were not elaborate, beautiful, decorated booth, but three-walled huts made of branches, totally uh, unweatherproof, and very temporary and very, very uncomfortable. And you had to sleep and eat in it with the bugs and everything else. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell, dwell in booths. 
He brought the, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So you know they went into the into the country in, into the land. They received houses and everything. I mean, we all have all kinds of stuff, but they were to remember. They were to come out into their yard and live in this silly hut for seven days to remember, to be reminded, to be refreshed. I took you out of slavery. I did it. I opened the sea for you to come out from bondage. I took you out of Egypt's slavery. I, I led you in the desert. I sustained you in the desert. I protected you in the desert. I dwelt with you in the desert. I brought you to the land, and I blessed you in this land. That is what they were to remember. And they were also to celebrate and to rejoice. You know, it is amazing because God says, you will rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You will be happy. It's a command. <laughs> you will be. Now you might say, I don't feel like it. <laughs> well, you better start feeling like it because, <laughs> because it's, it's the feast time. And while you remember all these things, you begin to become grateful again. To God. It's rejoice in God, not rejoice in the things you have. It's rejoice in God and what you have in Him that is the source. It is the source of all delight. We're such silly people. We start rejoicing in things. You know, I, I really do. I, I don't fast and pray for you during Christmas, but I feel sorry for you during Christmas because you have to contend with something. And I see people so hard working it. Jesus is the reason for the season. While ordering from this catalog and this catalog and this catalog and this catalog. Rejoice in God. He is the source of your joy. Why? Because of the grace you have for what he has already done. He has not changed from that. Not even, friends, not even spiritual gifts are a source of joy. God is the source of joy. Amen. Nothing you do for God. And I say this about myself because ministry can become a place where you seek satisfaction. That's not good. My portion is the Lord. My joy is the Lord. You know, as a pastor, I get to walk with God and feel what he feels for his people and unfortunately from his people. 
You know what I'm saying? Rejoice before the Lord. You will be happy. To the one who is in the reality of the grace of God, to the one to whom God is real, the light shines on all his affairs. And if you don't feel like it tonight, I just, I just want to recommend something. Because I'm not talking about a feeling. God would not, God would not command us to rejoice or to love if it was a feeling. And it begins with a turning of your heart back to him. The simplest thing is to turn to God and begin to thank him for his blood. Coming back to the word. Unglue yourself from social media. Unglue yourself from internet. Unglue yourself from the world for a moment. And even while you're driving or anything, I do this constantly because the environment around me is not saying to me all the time, be happy in God. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. Water from the spring of salvation is to come back to Yeshua all the time and just keep drawing <laughs> until you're satisfied in your water. You are well watered. I have to... You will rejoice in his goodness and faithfulness. Seven days uh, in Deuteronomy, it says, you shall keep a sacred feast unto the Lord because the Lord God will bless you in all your produce and in all your work, the work of your hands, so that you will surely rejoice. And God's desire, God's will, God's act is to bless his people. He doesn't just, it, this is his heart. This is his heart. Doesn't mean that our that our life will be a song. I don't think I don't think that believers right now in Iraq or other places are exactly uh, feeling this way. But I tell you something: it's God's heart to bring you to fullness. God's nature is to provide and bless. In fact, He said to Israel before they went into the into the land, He says, "Look, be careful." that you don't forget the Lord because in keeping his commandments and judgments and statutes because which I commanded you lest when you have eaten and you're full and has built good houses and you dwell therein and where your herds and flocks multiply that's God's heart he says I'm going to do it just don't forget what's more important the blessing or the word of God to keep He says, be careful, otherwise your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord. And that leads, of course, to idolatry. The third thing and last thing is anticipate. So we are to remember, we are to celebrate, and we are to anticipate. And this is totally future-looking. 
And this is coming, by the way. This is, I, I want to tell you something. The Bible, I'm, do you, do, you, do you have all these kinds of machines that need updating all the time? This one doesn't. <laughs> Not at all. It is perfect from A to Z. And it is not only up to date, it is future completely. And the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Ingathering. Because the harvest of Thanksgiving on the Feast of Tabernacles reminded of, to Israel, uh, Israel on the one hand of their dwelling in booths and all, and on the other hand, it also pointed them Feast of Tabernacles pointed them to the final harvest of men and hearts. This is Israel's mission to be completed. And I want to say something without trying to explain it. I don't know how your theology is, but what can I do? <laughs> Israel's restoration is totally the central part of God's plan to bring about the completion of the mission it has always had. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't want to go too much into it, but it, it points to the final harvest when Israel's mission should be completed and all nations are gathered unto the Lord. Yes, Let me just read to you. Uh, um, in this mountain, this is from Isaiah 25, in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a, f a feast of fat things, and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people. Now here is something uh, interesting. People say, and it's true, that there's a veil over the Jewish people about Messiah. It will be removed in Christ. That's true. But did you know that there is a veil over the nations too? a cover over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. They're blind. They're blind to God and they're blind to God's purpose and they're blind to Israel. But let me add this. But the church doesn't have to be, though largely it is too. And why is this important? And the veil that is spread over all nations. Now, what is God wanting to do? This is future. He will swallow up death in victory. Amen. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people Israel shall he take away from all the earth. This is the latter day glory. And in Zechariah, you see, I'm not twisting any scripture, that the nations will come up to this Feast of Tabernacles to Jerusalem. How, why, how it will work out, I have no idea. It's not returning to the law. God has a purpose. Did you know that Israel is meant to be a place from which a fountain of comfort and grace and salvation comes out and the world treats it as the enemy of God? How blind, how blind. It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. And I'll just, I just, uh, do I have a few more minutes, Pastor? Oh, okay, no. <laughs> no, no, no. 
need to call Paul here because I'm not. But <laughs> anyway, I just, every day in the Feast of Tabernacles, while the morning sacrifice was being prepared, a priest accompanied by a Jewish procession with music went down to the pool of Siloam which they discovered where it is now. They know it. Whence he drew water into a golden pitcher capable of holding about two pints, he returned just as his brothers carried up the pieces of the sacrifices to lay them on the altar. Then the priest went up to the rise of the altar and turned to the left where there were two silver basins with narrow holes, the eastern a little wider for the wine and the western narrower for the water. Into these wine into these the wine of the drink offering was poured at the same time that the water from Siloam was being poured out. Water and wine. I'll get to it in a minute. But this was done in a prophetic manner to anticipate that river that is going to come from underneath the altar. You see, remember in Ezekiel it says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. From the front of the temple faced, e faced east, the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the elder, uh, altar. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. It's life that God is going to bring back. There will be a very great multitude of fish. This is about Ezekiel. But in Revelation, we see exactly the same yes. river. Showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne and of the Lamb. In the midst of his street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree, listen, was the healing of the nations. Yeah. Now, at that time, on the last great day of the feast, this would be Sunday. Monday is another great convocation. But the last great day, just at the time in which they were pouring the wine and the water, Jesus stood up in the temple and cried out, this was the holiest, most exciting moment of all the feast. And Jesus cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This, of course, he said, he spoke concerning the spirit whose those believing in him should receive. Now, as you know, when John saw the piercing of the side of Yeshua came out of his heart blood and water. He is, he is the key to the fulfillment of the last harvest, of the coming spirit, of this great ingathering. Mm -hmm. 
of this coming unto him. He is. And the Feast of Tabernacles anticipates it. Let me ask you something. Are you anticipating? Are you living in anticipation? Or are you just wishing? Or are you just dreaming? Are you fully word-based, well aware of these things? This is not, this is not Jewish. This is not, I didn't come here to sell you any stuff. This belongs to you as your heritage of the knowledge of God. Are you living in anticipation? Are you living on the edge of your seat? Do you remember, some of you at least, when you were saved, you were expecting Jesus' return any second? But then you became wiser. And you went on your business building your own life. Are we living in expectation? Are we living with a hope of based on the word of God? You know, for me, personally, or for us, this is not an option. I long for the day in which I will see the Holy Spirit poured out on my people. You can't get close to God without having your heart ripped out for the need of the lost. Can you? That's what we're waiting. And that's what God was reminding them. And may I humbly say it this way. I want to believe that God is refreshing you tonight, reminding you of your need, showing you his provision, ordering you to celebrate and be happy in him. Turn to him. You'll be happy. The world will never live up to its word satisfaction guaranteed. Never. But God will be happy in me as your portion. And are you living with a real and living expectation, anticipation? If not, I'm here to tell you or just to remind you what God is saying, that in Christ it has already begun because that water and blood that came out of his heart is going to become a mighty river of life, of salvation, of grace. Amen. You know, we're so used to living with darkness that we have forgotten, we have forgotten to long for the light. We have forgotten to seek for that outpouring. Amen. And if at all, if at all, these words stir within you a great longing for God and a real, even small, let it begin as a faith that, that expresses itself in faith. Let thy kingdom come and I will be done. Then this would have been worth it for you to be here tonight. May the Lord wash your feet.
and refresh you tonight. Jesus said, and in the next sessions we have, we're going to actually be looking at this, but Jesus said this, in my Father's house there are many, King James calls it mansions, places in God to be in, to live in, to dwell in. He said, I go to prepare a place for you in God. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Isn't that good to anticipate this? That where I am, there you may be also. That's what we're going to try to look at tomorrow, but God help us. Father, we just thank you for Yeshua, for Jesus. We thank you for reminding us tonight of how we need you, O oh God. How we need you. Break our hearts, Lord. Break our hearts to see our need. Let us not be afraid to be nailed. As long as we can see you and know that in you we have it all. We have forgiveness. We have life. We have you. Whom have I in heaven but thee, O God? Thank you, Father, for Yeshua. Thank you, Father, for Yeshua. Bless your people. Bless this dear church tonight, Lord. Bless, bless Lord, Pastor Tracy. Give this church a revival, a refreshing from heaven. Give us all, Father, a refreshing in thy presence that we might walk in that simplicity of having and wanting nothing but Jesus himself. Thank you, Father, that in you we have all, all that we could ever want, all that we could ever dream of and anticipate, a thousand billion times better than all earthly things. And we just say to you, we love you. And we want you. We want you, Lord. Come to each one of us. And Lord, come to thy people, Israel. Oh, come, Lord. It's, isn't it enough? Isn't it enough, Lord? Is it not time for that great outpouring and revelation of Jesus to your own people too? Thank you, Father, for this time in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.